Whether you keep them in your home or love to see them in theirs, these are the creatures that bring us all together. Reptiles. Reptiles. We're going to be delving into the experiences of reptile lovers from around the block and around the world. This is the Reptile Talk Podcast. Boom. <laughs> What's going on, everybody? This is Jeremy Turgeon from Brassman Reptiles. And I'm Rob, and I'm creeping it real. Hey. Uh, so today's episode, uh, we're, we're going to be joined by our buddy Josh Ortiz in a few. Um, but today's episode, originally, we were going to do a, uh, a recap on the first, uh, actually the first two um, in-person meetings in North Carolina regarding the Tegu ban, which means we originally were going to be doing this video tomorrow. Um, yep. And uh, we're also we're also streaming on three different places right now, which is wonderful. What? I don't even know if Rob knows that. We're streaming on on uh, on my YouTube. We're also streaming on uh, my personal Facebook profile, and we're streaming on the Reptile Talk Podcast Facebook profile. Um, so we're, yeah. we're streaming everywhere. So welcome, um, everybody that is watching. And uh, everybody on Instagram, or I'm sorry, on Instagram. Yeah, well, yeah, everybody on Instagram, too bad for you. You got to go to YouTube or Facebook. Um, but uh, everybody on YouTube, uh, of course, if you want to drop a super chat uh, down there, we appreciate it. We will highlight it and uh, talk about whatever you want to talk about there. Um, so, again, originally we were supposed to be talking about the uh, how the first two meetings went down here in North Carolina with regards to the Tegu ban and uh, native species rule changes as far as needing importation paperwork and stuff like that. And uh, that uh, didn't happen. Why didn't it happen, Rob? Um, there, There's a couple different reasons why that didn't happen. Um, the official reason is because of COVID. Um, the COVID cases in North Carolina are rising. Uh, but from what I'm seeming to hear from a bunch of different people, it also sounds like maybe some slimy politics involved. And it's not the reptiles that are slimy, just just to reiterate. <laughs> I don't know, man. I've seen some pretty slimy reptiles. <laughs> um, just water snakes. <laughs> it's just water snakes. <laughs> um, yeah, so that uh, so here's the here's the big problem with that. And I just saw Josh just uh, just entered uh backstage we'll bring him on in just a second um the biggest problem with with losing these opportunities to speak is you know we originally were going into this thing okay we've got four different opportunities to speak to this committee um and there there may have been some uh some people who were interchanged at different locations depending upon where committee members had to travel to and whatever um you know so it was an opportunity for us to speak to different people all over the state with regards to this that are involved in this. Um, now we only have one opportunity. So the impact of being able to speak, especially multiple times to the same people, we really want to be able to drive this point home and to also become that familiar face in the room, so to speak, especially for those who are going to be speaking at multiple meetings, um, you know, will give you that chance you know, to initiate some conversation with certain people in the room, be it people on the committee or, uh, you know, like we were discussing, trying to link up with um, state biologists and, and different different key members 
um, you know, that that we want to just be aware of being in the state of North Carolina, um, but also that are key players when it comes to, you know, these things being uh, being brought to everybody's attention uh, and these potential rule changes that we may see more of, uh, we probably will see more of as uh, as the year progresses, which is not not wonderful. Um, so now we only have this one opportunity to speak on this Zoom hearing uh, or Zoom meeting. <clears throat> this is great because uh, it means there's really no excuse for people to not show up. Um, even if you're you know now at work, you can. Uh, click the link to register. I'll actually make sure that the link is posted uh, in the. Uh, you can click the link to register for that meeting, and then literally you can just join the meeting and then put your phone off to the side. We don't necessarily need you to speak so much as need you to be a block on the camera screen. Um, you know, the the numbers are going to be of of vital impact just as much as the people who are speaking. Um, you know, and Phil will be speaking, um, and I, I would urge everybody, of course to be following us arc you know signing up for those newsletters but i would urge everybody to go check out last week's episode of the podcast where we spoke with phil uh and went into some of these things a little bit more in depth um so we only have this one chance to speak which means it's it's kind of like all or nothing here um you know so again there's no excuse i'm really hoping that we see a, a solid turnout from north carolina reptile keepers it, it sounded like there were certain people that were maybe happy that this was now the only option um, or was an option in general just because now they'd have a chance to speak. So hopefully uh, we see those we, we see a lot of squares in the room uh, in opposition to this. Um, do you have uh, anything else you want to add, Rob, before I, I bring Josh in? Uh, just real quick, again, if you are listening to this right now, go to usark.org, usark.org, and the alert should be right up next to the top. Uh, you can click on there. It's got a direct link to where you can sign up to be in this upcoming hearing. The hearing is going to be on January 20th. 2022 if you're listening to this way in the future it's not going to make sense to you but if you're listening to it right now uh in the current time uh, where this is still important uh click on that link especially if you live in north carolina um, and a reptile keeper or just have a vested interest in uh, you know people being able to enjoy uh their animals uh this upcoming weekend in durham which is right next to me there is a show me reptiles reptile show um so i'll be going to that i'm going to try and kind of push around the word to some of the vendors, make sure that they're all signed up, um, talk to Mickey, see what we can do about uh, getting people involved and uh, getting people tied in. Absolutely. I had a great conversation with Mickey in South Carolina uh, at the show down, uh, down in green Greenville. I think it was in Greenville. I don't even remember where the hell I was, <laughs> um, but uh, just kind of about what we can be doing better, you know, or what we can be kind of focusing towards as a community uh, when it comes to this, but, uh, so, uh, we're going to bring Josh, uh, Josh, on. I see Josh is like texting or doing some random, <laughs> um, but we're going to bring Josh on. So Josh was instrumental. Uh, he was one of the few people that was, uh, fighting the South Carolina Tegu ban. And it, it obviously was a, and massive... showed up. He showed, he showed up, up for all those people who didn't. That's right. He showed up. And, uh, you know, I mean, he was greatly impacted um, by the South Carolina Tegu ban. It was a massive part of his business. But I, I wanted to get him in on this because, you know, first of all, he fought something similar. But second of all, 
uh, to talk about kind of like tegus in general. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Josh has done uh, so much work with tegus over the years. I mean, it was a better part of his business. Um, you know, so it's it, he definitely has a vested interest in understanding what's going on and also uh, the ability to call out some of the BS that uh, surrounds this proposed ban. So, uh, so I'm going to bring him on real quick. We'll get uh, we'll get me to shut up. Hey, what's going what's on? What's up, dude? Boom! There he is. <laughs> nice to see you guys. I like your background, Jeremy. That's really fancy. Thanks. I appreciate right? that. <laughs> this is nice to you, Rob. But, but Jeremy, <laughs> no. No. It when reminds I went me of the Jeremy's Northeast. room right there, yeah. I was like, dude, did did they specifically paint this for you? Because this is like nice. Dude, you want to know what's funny is when uh, when Len when Lenny got this place, he was like, dude, check this out. They got New York in here. And he's from New York. So, <laughs> so he's like, they got New York in the house. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Heck um so I had a question for you guys on the meetings. Mm-hmm. So yes. the Zoom meetings, I heard you guys talking about it, right? So what's the um I don't know, because I feel like it's a good and bad thing that they have the one meeting because if someone happens to be working at that time, not everyone works nine to five. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They simply want to be able to attend it. And I just, I mean, I guess this is a question for the committee members and people hosting the meeting, but it just seems like if they were going to have the in-person meetings, it's really not a stretch to just have multiple zoom meetings. Right. I mean, if anything, it would take less time and less resources to have those zoom meetings. So it seems like it's not, I mean, I don't, I don't like conspiracy theories. I'm not, that's really not my style, but in addition to COVID, which is obviously a legitimate concern, I don't understand why they simply can't have multiple zoom meetings. I mean, that's, I guess, another topic for a different discussion, but it just seems really odd to me. I, I don't understand that. I mean, I requested, I, I actually sent them an email. I haven't got a reply yet. Um, because they should have multiple zoom meetings. If anything, it's even easier for them because they could do it from the comfort of their home especially where yeah. they had already blocked out that time out of their schedule to be doing this. So it's like they're trying, it sounds like they're trying to cut the amount of opportunities for people to oppose it. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. All right. So I could talk about the Tegu portion, but that's not the only part of what they're trying to present. But in my yeah. opinion, and not only because I'm, I have an interest in Tegu's, but in my opinion, that's probably the most pressing issue because that's like really restrictive. They're literally saying like mm-hmm. all tables. Yeah, no all of them. At all. That's, that's really insane. That's nuts. Um, yeah. In South Carolina, what we did here, we spoke to the legislators here. And when we spoke to them, uh, to SCDNR, and we basically reasoned with them. And I could give a little bit of background on the different types of species and the different types of tegus. But just to kind of conceptualize this. Even Colombian tegus, which is a smaller species, they're more equatorial. So they're from a very warm climate. I mean, they're, a lot of their, uh, their range is actually warmer than Florida. Majority of the range actually is. And they do not brumate that species. If you brumate that species, it's similar to like brumating like an Asian water monitor. If you try to brumate an Asian water monitor and have it cool for too long, you're going to come back to a dead monitor. It's the yeah. same thing with a Colombian tegu. If I took a Colombian tegu for two or three weeks, say, you know what? I'm going to put it really cold, not feed it, not give it water. It's going to be dead or nearly dead. Mm-hmm. So it seems like, see, here, here's the issue here. It's, it's problematic because uh, is this decision being made for all tegu species just because of lack of knowledge? The people that are passing this regulation, they just aren't very knowledgeable in the situation? Or are they knowledgeable 
and they are choosing to ignore these these common sense exceptions that should be made to it, right? So mm-hmm. anyway, so it includes Colombian tegus, very popular pets, small species, doesn't brumate. Um, there's only been recorded any sort of invasive population of those in portions of Florida, and they make a very, very, very small percentage of the invasive animals there. And the reason being is because they're not even tolerant to the cool downs they would experience in Florida. I mean, they literally die. Um, so you have a rough winter there, and then they're pretty much all dead. So to have them regulated anywhere, now they're regulated in Alabama, which Alabama gets cold. Alabama gets as cold as around man in South Carolina. Um, they're regulated. Uh, they're proposing it in North Carolina. All of Florida, they're going to be right re- They're already regulated. Um, so that's 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 very odd on the the Colombian tegus, and then the uh, the red tegus. So you guys you guys have seen red tegus many times, right? I'm assuming. Yeah. So red tegus, their environment for red tegus, they occupy Argentina, they occupy Paraguay. Some people say some portions of Uruguay, but we don't have any of those that would derive from Uruguay in this country. But anyways, they come from like a semi-arid environment. So think of like cyclora, like rhino iguanas, right? So they come from like very dry, arid areas, right? Or semi, semi-arid areas. So species like that, they haven't evolved to be in humid areas like you would have along the East Coast here, right? And in addition to that, they cannot tolerate cold to the extent of a black and white tegu. Let me tell you... Let me actually tell you how I brewmate my red tegus, which are the ones I breed here since I can't breed black and whites or anything like that anymore, legally. So the red tegus here, right, once it hits around Halloween time, usually my temperature's here in the 50s, and the red tegus start getting a little bit congested. It's a little bit too much for them to bear, right? So I have to bring them indoors, and I keep them at 60 degrees all winter, 60, 62. If they go under 60 degrees for a prolonged period of time, they, they're very susceptible to respiratory infections, right? And this is all the information I gave the South Carolina DNR. And the, uh, so, so in addition to not uh, being as humid tolerant, right, of humidity, they're not very cold tolerant like you would have for like a black and white tegu, right? And where their natural range is, it's more of the interior portion of South America, right? Um, so that's why it's semi-arid there in that portion of Argentina and Paraguay where they're from. But in addition to that, they don't brumate very long. So, you know, most of the U.S., mm-hmm. right, from, let's say, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, you don't see most of your local reptiles for about half the year, right? So from about mid-October to, let's say, mid-April, you do see some on occasion if you have warm days. You know, obviously, you'll see certain reptiles that are extremely cold tolerant. But I'm saying, mm-hmm. by and large, you don't see your local reptiles for six months out of the year, Right. Mm-hmm. That's the way it is in a lot of different ranges. Where red tegus are from, they do not experience that length of cold temperatures for that period of time. So my tegus here, my red tegus, in mid-February around Valentine's Day, they're all waking up. Even though I have them at 60 degrees, they're all waking up, but I cannot put them outside because in my area in South Carolina, which is far warmer than where you guys are at, at least the portion of South Carolina I'm in, they, they would die outside because in February here, the daytime temperature is 70s, which is fine. But the nighttime temperature is 40s, maybe 50 degrees. They would die one or two nights, three nights in a row. It would be tough on them. When you're talking about like weeks on end that that was temperatures, they would die. So mid-February, I cannot put them outside. So basically, since they do brumate for a shorter period of time, from mid-February up until about the beginning of April, so about six weeks, 
I have to keep them awake indoors, right? So then I keep them awake indoors, the red tegus. Then I take them and put them outside when it's adequate. So we're talking not just one barrier of temperature. A lot of people think, oh, well, it's too, um, it's too uh, cold for red tegus in North Carolina, South Carolina. But it's not just that. It's not that simple. It's too humid. If they get overly humid, they actually get sick for an extended period of time if they're too humid. Um, if the temperature goes too cold, they get sick. If they brumate for too long, they die. That's the reason you don't even see red tegu invasive populations, even in Florida, even in South mm -hmm. Florida, you don't see mm -hmm. invasive populations of red tegus. And red tegus are extremely popular in the pet trade. And you, see, you haven't seen any, once in a blue moon, you might see, I know someone, for example, that's been catching tegus in South Florida for a, a large portion of his income all over South Florida for about eight years, literally, especially back in the day when there was more of them, caught hundreds of tegus each year, especially back in the day, like eight years ago, before they had a little bit more of a handle on the situation. And all those probably over the years, thousands that he's caught, he caught a single red tegu. And he told me that literally he could walk up to it and just pick it up right off the floor. So it was obviously someone's pet. Somebody's pet, yeah. Yeah, obviously. He said this thing was fat and big and chunky. So, so I'm going to relate this in. So basically you're talking about regulating Colombian tegus, right? Zero invasive potential, even in Florida, even in um, Georgia, South Carolina. So definitely in North Carolina, red tegus have zero invasive potential, right? So black and whites are really the only one that should even be mentioned, period. So when they're mentioning these regulations, the only thing they should even be potentially considering is black and white. So that's the only thing we should even be, you know, tackling with these legislators. Why the other tables run into the conversation? It's, it's stupid to me. I'm sorry. It's just idiotic. It just mm -hmm. makes no sense. And they think yeah. because they have similar names, they look kind of similar, that they're all similar. To me, that's like saying, oh, well, a coyote and a domesticated dog and a fox, oh, they're all canines. They all look pretty similar. They're the same, right? When someone says that about a Colombian take you red, you black, that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm like, it's like, oh, it's just, oh my God. It's, it's frustrating. So frustrating. It's very frustrating, of course. Um, anyway, so we should really, the conversation should only be about black and white tegus. So let's talk about black and white tegus, right? Black and white tegus, especially the ones in this country, come from Argentina and they come from regions bordering like Paraguay, Uruguay area primarily. And then there's portions of them going into Brazil, but those are primarily known as blue tegus, which are also not very cold tolerant, but they're categorized as the same species, Salvatore marinade. So black and white tegus, they like it humid. They like it cold. The, the black and white tegus, they go under the ground. They could stay in the 50s, no problem, as long as it's upper 50s, and it's for about like five or six months. They're able to invade South Florida, right? As you go north into in, in Florida, it's no big coincidence that there's less and less and less and less and less and less and less, and less tegus, right? And then the only time they've actually had a significant amount of sightings, not in one season, I'm talking about year after year after year, has been in Georgia, right? And the portion of Georgia is actually quite warm, but I, South Carolina DNR, I don't really want to talk about that much because that's not the point of this conversation, but they used to be on good terms with me, right? So when they had a good rapport with me, they would share information with me and discuss things with me. At the time that they were speaking with me in, in Georgia, there was never a single hatchling, a single nest, a single egg, nothing to prove that there was any invasive population in Georgia whatsoever. 
there was literally just adult tegus found year after year. Bear in mind, these could literally be the same exact tegus seen year after year. So there's no invasive, that's a big myth that there's an invasive population in Georgia. There's a sightings of adult tegus year after year with no proof of proliferation whatsoever. Because what an adult animal, and you guys know this, right? An adult human, an adult snake, an adult anything is going to be far more hardy than a neonatal baby version right. of that same species, right? Right. Uh-huh. So what happens is, yes, an adult tegu is going to be far more cold tolerant than their baby, than their, their neonate or their hatchling counterpart, right? So, and that's important because to have the full life cycle, it can't just be tolerable for the adult portion of that species. It has to be tolerable for the babies because that's what becomes adults in the future, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. They've never found that piece of the puzzle, which I'm assuming is probably one of the reasons why they haven't regulated them in Georgia quite yet, because there has been no proof of invasiveness. <laughs> But despite all this, and let's let's be honest, I'm gonna take kind of like on a, a side tangent. I have a lot to say about this whole Tegu situation, obviously. But <laughs> that's why you're here. <laughs> that's why you're here. Let's go on a, on a side tangent. Everyone really knows what this is about. There was an invasive issue in Florida, right? They decided to ban them. This is beyond the scope of our conversation right now. I don't agree with them banning them. I think there was a lot of more logical compromises that could have been made. But for whatever reason, they're gonna they're they're banned pretty much. Some people are grandfathered in to have them until I believe t- uh, 2024 for breeding purposes, and they're grandfathered to have them as pets if they had them prior to the ban, just regular keepers or whatever. Anyways, this ban went through, right? And now you have this sensationalized momentum, right? Mm-hmm. So now basically, when you have like animal rights activists and the Center for Biological Diversity that drafts a lot of these regulations. They could kind of just run with this. This is their moment, right? Now they have the momentum. The ban just went through in Florida, which is like a stronghold for the reptile community. Okay, basically have the mentality, if we're going to ever try to really you know, run after it and ban it in neighboring states, this is the time to do it. So they're basically using this sensationalized momentum, so to speak, right? And they're just piggybacking off of that. Because in Alabama, where they banned them, no invasive take populations. Georgia hasn't banned them. No invasive taking populations there. South Carolina, they, they, they cited adult animals, right? No invasive population here. Um, North Carolina, no invasive populations, no sightings, no anything. Right. Uh-huh. So here's the thing. The further north you go, obviously, the colder it gets, right? Mm-hmm. Which is the reason you don't see invasive populations in North Carolina. But we're going to actually take a break from just, you know, my beliefs from from raising these animals and dealing with them for about 20 years, right? There's actually papers by actual scientists that study this. So far, they have a far stronger expertise than anyone that works for any of these uh, state agencies, right? So there's a paper in Nature. It's called, you can look it up, just Google Tegus and Nature, the journal. I think it's called Modeling of Tegu Lizards in their native range and beyond, something along those lines. If you just, mm-hmm. well, you can put the link probably, Jeremy, right? Later What's on, that? you could add the link to the description, correct? I can, yes, yeah. Okay, so add the link later on. So that's usually since it's, since that paper was published in a pretty reputable journal, that's usually the go-to for a lot of people when they're referencing this and trying to ban things, right? So in that paper, they basically take and say, okay, here, look, this is what, the ranges and the parameters are for black and white tegus in their native range in South America. 
we're going to basically take all the data we collected in terms of temperature, in terms of humidity. We're going to take all these different variables under consideration, apply it to the southeast U.S., right? And then we're going to do a model and show a diagram of where we believe we think hypothetically they could potentially inhabit in the U.S. And they were pretty generous with this model, as these models usually are. Yeah. Yeah, up into up Washington, D.C. Yeah, I'm surprised yeah, yeah. this is at the main, right? <laughs> Anyways, yeah, yeah, um, pretty much. <laughs> this generous distribution showed them in North Carolina, and this, bear in mind, is extremely generous. The, the, the targeted background, a slither of the coast. We're talking when you're in the, the North Myrtle Beach, port, I'm going to bring some geography in here now. The North Myrtle Beach portion of South Carolina, then when you head right over the border, all the way on the coast of South of uh, North Carolina on the east coast of it, literally going up until like Wilmington, right? Mm -hmm. Which is what not even halfway up the state, yeah. just the slither of the coast. So basically, if you lived within like a five mile distance of the coast range, right? Because that's the warmest portion of North Carolina, and that was the range which comprises what maybe five percent of the state. So they were like, yeah. okay, we think maybe in this five percent of the state they could potentially live. And that would be obviously the, the extreme of that spectrum, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's the go-to study with extremely generous spectrum. So basically, even the go-to study that people are citing for these bands, right, says that North in North Carolina, these tegulizers pretty much can't even live there. And at mm -hmm. least minimum of like 95% of the state. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I bet you they're probably not going to bring up this study that they have brought up in other states because if anything, it's going to hurt them because it's basically right. going to say, look, the science says what we're trying to do isn't, isn't accurate. It's not necessary in North Carolina, right? Mm -hmm. So if you take someone like me in the U.S. that's breeding tegus, it's common sense that they can't live in North Carolina. Everyone knows that, right? If you take scientific papers for people that study ecology and they study these tegu lizards in their native range and they develop generous models, that agrees that they can't live in practically the entire state, right? Then in addition to that, if you actually speak to people over in Argentina, there's a there's a tegu farm in Argentina. It's in um, Canuelas, Argentina, right? It's the one that um, Bert Langerworth, he actually got his originally stock from this. From, uh, oh, wow. yeah. from them, exactly, exactly. So if you speak to them, because I know the individuals there, and I believe they also have YouTube videos, but they're in Spanish, of course. And they state the same thing about these different species. They state about Colombian tegus, that they don't work with Colombian tegus because where they are, it gets too cold, they would all die. With red tegus, where they are in Argentina, which has a similar climate to about uh, like southern South Carolina, the red tegus, they have to bring them in in the winter. So they're in the portion of Argentina that gets about as warm as southern South Carolina. And they say the same thing. Red tegus, we have to bring them indoors, right? And then the black and white tegus, they can allow their adults to stay outside. They let them bury down low and their babies, sometimes they let them stay outside, sometimes they don't, right? But even them, they're saying, okay, black and whites are the only ones we can even potentially leave out here and we have to make significant accommodations for them. Red mm -hmm. tegus do not stay out here. Colombian tegus do not stay out here. So you have it from all these different perspectives where, where all the evidence is pointing to all these other tegu species, including red tegus, shouldn't even be a part of the conversation. It's ridiculous that they're even mentioned. Mm -hmm. Black and white tegu should be the only tegu species listed. And then when you approach that tegu species, having them invasive in North Carolina, if you talk to seasoned keepers, which, which are obviously going to have a bias, that's fine. Let's just throw that to the side. If you talk to actual scientists, right, 
who don't who really theoretically don't really have a bias either way. Let's make that assumption, right? Let's give the benefit of the doubt in that particular situation because we don't know those particular researchers. They're even saying it can't live in the state. So what other proof do you need? As a matter of fact, the burden of proof is on the state. If you're mm-hmm. trying to regulate this and say, you know what, keepers, breeder, future keepers cannot um, cannot keep this species. Okay, the burden of proof is on you. You haven't proven that they could overwinter here. Keepers tell you they can't. Season keepers far more experienced than you guys say this. In addition to that, the scientific papers, so the scientific community far more uh, cap- not capable, but far more qualified to intelligently comment on the subject matter, all unanimously agree. So it, it, it honestly just seems like, okay, well, we're going to pass this regulation because the CBD, the Center for Biological Diversity, handed it over to us, or they put this, or whatever their reasoning is, but basically running with the momentum of sensationalism. And, mm-hmm. and that's really dangerous, not just for tegu lizards, or for, for tegus, but if you think about it, if, if you pass bans for the sake of just passing bans, that's 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 a can of worms you don't want to open. Because yep. where the, where does it stop? Because that's basically where you're coming to. Because invasiveness is a non-issue. Everything points mm-hmm. to invasiveness with North Carolina, North Carolina being a non-issue. You're writing sensationalism. So you're telling me if something gets sensationalized in another state, what, what venomous gets sensationalized somewhere? Large constrictors get sensationalized somewhere? Other large lizard species get sensationalized somewhere that could just ride that wave of sensationalism right into North Carolina. That is just such a dangerous, dangerous precedent to set that that's why it really scares me. Um, and everyone loses. So I've been talking for a long time. So what do you what do you guys think? Yeah, no, I I think you've really like put all the major points out there. You know, I mean, just just the fact alone that from multiple points there are people saying that there's no way those those animals could survive in, in the climate of North Carolina like that. That should be proof alone. You know, if if them becoming an invasive species is the primary concern that it doesn't need to be a concern at all. Um, I do want to take just 10 seconds and pivot really quick because we've had a bunch of super chats come through. I just want to make sure these people get recognized. Um, Natalie <clears throat> is in the house. Um, her live chat's acting up, so she's hitting with some super chats this evening. Definitely appreciate that support, Natalie. Um, she had thrown another one um, that she will be at that at that meeting uh, next week, which is awesome. Uh, and yes, today's super chats, we will send today's super chats over to US Arc as well, um, since that is our primary topic. So all super chats that uh, happen from tonight's episode are going to go to US Arc as well. Um, and then there were a couple more I just want to hit, too. From CBD Exotics, we'll support anyone who tries to get the U.S. ARC message out there. We definitely appreciate that. That's um, that's what we're here for, absolutely. That's why, that's why I bother Phil so much, to make sure we get him. And his, I want to see what but what banner he puts behind him next time we have him on. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> and then Lady Tiz Exotics. This is very informative. Thanks for the detail. That is why I brought Josh on here. Josh can throw science around like it's nobody's business because he's he's just that that awesome guy that can do that so that's why we brought him on here um i also see uh willie beard venom centrals in the house i just want to give a shout out to to willie's part of the uh, carolina herpetological society team i think nick patini was here as well um so just shout out shout out to them and another shameless plug for the carolina herpetological society um 
You can uh, check us out on Facebook. Give the page a like while we're still very much in our infancy. 2022 will be a year of, uh, of fun things for us to uh, get off the ground. And before we go back to it, Natalie dropped in one more super chat. I just want to plug it in here. This is such an amazing argument. Josh, you should be the head speaker for this hearing. <laughs> Josh is okay. like, North Carolina's on your own, man. I did my duty down here. No, no we, I would, I'd love to see Josh just like wreck these people. Just, it would just yes. make me happy. Yeah. Like go to the in person meeting. We were ready. We were ready. Yeah. I was, yeah. I was pumped. I, I was actually excited to go. I'm like, oh, they're going to have to drag me off this stage or wherever I'm speaking. Listen, if, listen, if the if the three of us, if us three were here and I didn't see a good old Josh nerd tantrum. <laughs> oh, man. <clears throat> Too good. Too good. Um, but, yeah, I, I definitely I think it's important that, you know, that that is one of our most valuable assets when it comes to uh, making these these rebuttals to these proposals is, is the science literally does not support it. Um, and if, if you're willing to argue science with a guess that 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 literally is Josh was just saying opens up such a ridiculous can of worms, you know, because then it, it becomes anything, anybody that that now becomes in charge of making these these rule changes could say, hey, you know what? I, I saw it. somebody's loose ball python. You know, maybe they could become invasive. I think we should we should talk about banning ball pythons. You know, um, if we're not going to bother looking at science and paying attention to, to what the reality is, we we can get ourselves really screwed. Yeah. So. I wanted to cut, add a couple of things, but if you have more to add, Jeremy, I'll, I'll no, go, go for it, dude. Unless Rob's got anything to say, go for it. I would, the only thing I was going to say was just that, uh, you know, if they're, if they're not basing this stuff in science, what are they basing on, basing it on? And, you know, public fear is not like a good reason. There's lots of things that the public is afraid of that have, there's no good reason <laughs> for them to be afraid of. Um, and, and it's just ridiculous. And, the, the fact that they're not offering a, a better alternative than just like a blanket ban kind of says where their mind's at when it comes to this. Because like Josh is saying, there's no science to back up any reason why they should be banning red tegus or Colombian tegus, or, you know, and, and they're not really posing us with any more of this information. And that coupled with the, the fact that they uh, canceled the in-person meetings and then they're not offering the alternative of still hosting some sort of a public comment is is very telling of the situation right right that is super opinion. true um okay before josh before we uh we we have you continue talking um yeah. it's we're at that halfway point so i want to make sure we we give our sponsor their plug um so we are going to do that really quick and we'll be back in about 90 seconds Black Box Cages, located in Buford, Georgia, is your one-stop shop for all of your caging and rack needs. Owners Jen and Clint are at the helm of this fantastic company. With one of the shortest lead times in cage and rack manufacturing, Black Box can satisfy anyone's needs. From baby racks to V70s, arboreal and terrestrial caging to deep-fronted bioactive enclosures. You can find everything you need right here. New enclosure sizes and products are added frequently to their availability, so be sure to check back often. 
black box cages have tons of customizing options for lighting and heating. Along with that, cages and racks can be stacked with metal stacking dowels, and all cage joints are datoed for improved durability and stability. Most cage units are flat-packed, but are pre-assembled prior to shipping to ensure a solid build every time. The Micro, XC18, XT3, BioG, and 3-Stack V70 ship assembled, and all other racks are shipped freight and assembled. The XR16 and XR20 model racks allow keepers to mix and match tubs. Fitting both Vision and Freedom Breeder tubs, you can mix the V15, V18, and V35S tubs, or the FB5, FB8, and FB35CVSC tubs. This kind of flexibility allows keepers to raise their animals from hatchling to juvenile or sub-adult size before needing to upgrade into adult caging. Don't just take our word for it. Go to their website to see countless customer reviews and review videos from keepers all over. To learn more about Black Box Cages, follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Black Box Cages, and of course their website, www.blackboxcages.com. Links to their socials and website will be available in the podcast description. Boom. So there's our shout out for Black Box Cages. Definitely appreciate that. Make sure you go check them out. Um, okay. Josh, please continue. <laughs> well, I like those cages. Those are pretty neat. I was watching a little video you guys had up there. <laughs> <laughs> that was my I can use iMovie on my phone video. <laughs> you know, the commercials, I liked it. I was like, man, he has like a good voice for this. I should hire him to do commercials for me. Let's go, dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, anyway, so I was going to add in terms of talking about like cold tolerance and things like that of different tape lizards. So obviously you guys know who Bert Langerworth is, right? I'll give background for people that don't, but you guys know who that is, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so Bert Langerworth is basically, um, in my opinion, I really don't think it'd be considered an opinion, the best lizard breeder to ever live, right? Yep. Yeah. He passed away, I believe, in 2008. But anyway, his uh, farm was in central Alabama, in Montbalo, right? It gets about yep. the temperature I'm at over here in South Carolina. So it actually gets warmer than where you guys are at. Quite a bit warmer, actually. So you guys probably, especially the portion of North Carolina you guys reside in right now. Anyways, so on his farm, just to kind of put into context, but yet another example. So we're talking about the best lizard breeder in the world. He literally had, um, for his enclosures for his tegu lizards outdoors, the, 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 most, the most insulated enclosure types that he had were buried in the ground. He basically made them like basements. So he had cement structures buried a a couple feet in the ground, right? And then they Mm -hmm. were south-facing with a slant. They had greenhouse glass on top, right? It's basically create a Mm -hmm. greenhouse effect. So you had that greenhouse effect just like you would like in a car, basically, with with the sun sun rays hitting a a car glass, right? And getting trapped in there, right? In addition to that, he had a cement around it. So it was kind of like a combination of having like a basement and having a greenhouse, right? So it it was really, really strong insulation in those particular enclosures. And they got far warmer than the climate around him because he made them specifically for that purpose, right? Even him with those excellent enclosure designs, right? That um, he was able to breed black and white tegus and some outdoor pens and the babies he had to give protection. His red tegus, he could not breed unless they were in that, those specific enclosures, which basically makes it a zone warmer. We're talking about grow zones of like crops and things like that. Mm-hmm. And him basically making it a well-insulated greenhouse 
he's making an entire zone warmer at the very least. So even there, where he made significant accommodations for his tegus, he could only keep his red tegus in those specific enclosures to breed them outdoors, and he could not keep his babies outdoors whatsoever. If you read his book, uh, The Lizard Man, he says the red tegus, he tried all different accommodations. So we're talking about a very intelligent man. He had a degree in physics. He taught physics for many, many years, bred lizards for decades and decades and decades. And despite his best efforts, he could not get baby red tegus to live outside. So even with intervention, with artificial means and intervention, unless he added heat to them, so added electricity and inputted energy, he could not get the red tegus to live outside whatsoever, right? That's crazy. So, and that's in a warmer climate than you guys, someone that's very talented, specifically trying to get these animals to live outside, and he could not get the babies to survive. So the first year, he kept them indoors during the cold months. And then once they had some size on them, when they were like two, three years old, and they were a bit more hardy, then he could put them outdoors. And even then, he had to accommodate them pretty significantly. So that's yet another example. So we have the example from people like me. You have the scientific example from that nature paper, which is the one that's usually cited. You have the example from the, the speakers over in Argentina, the breeders there. You have the example of the best lizard breeder that ever lived, Bert Langerwerp. All of these people could never intentionally get a baby red tegu to survive in a cold climate similar to you know so Alabama, South Carolina, far warmer than you guys in North Carolina. So how is the state going to propose that they believe it could happen? I would like to for them to tell me how they do it because I would like to know how to do it. If they they must know something <laughs> I don't. They, with their little experience, somehow they're more talented with keeping these things alive than actual experts. Um, little do well, you know the state holds all the power <laughs> yeah, yeah obviously i'm being sarcastic but, but it's yeah. true so we're talking about um and you know what to, for me to give benefit of the doubt maybe i'm just being a little bit uh, uh a little bit slanted on this because of my experience in my particular state and i'm hoping that it's different in north carolina i'm hoping that when then we we go to the meetings and people hear these things and they're saying you'll say you know what we didn't know that you're presenting really good facts here and you're basing it on facts. You're not telling us your feelings and, and this and like that. Because a lot of times when people get too emotional about these things, it's very easy to get emotional about things you care about, right? Mm -hmm. But in my opinion, and I'm going to tie this in. So in my opinion, when people go to meetings and they say, well, I really love this animal. Or I really, you know, it's my pet or it's my baby or it's my family member. I mean, that's that's important to you. But you have to realize from the big standpoint of the state, it's, it's pretty much irrelevant, Right. So you really have to hit them with the facts. So I think when everyone goes to these meetings, it's important to state the facts. It's important to you know look up, the, you'll include the link for the paper, just to cite that paper. It's important to cite the, um, the statements of breeders. It's important to cite the scenario of Bert Langer. It's important to cite the scenario in Argentina of the breeders in Canuelas, right? It's important to say that unanimously across the board, no matter what field you're in, whether it's scientific field or the actual practical field where you're, where you're practicing, breeding these animals. It's not possible. Um, so yeah, so basically red tegus, Colombian tegus, and, and pretty much any state um, shouldn't even be part of the conversation. Whether it be Georgia or Alabama or South Carolina or North Carolina or wherever else they try to do this. Um, and then when they talk about black and white tegus, we already, I don't want to be too repetitive, but we already said it's, uh, you know, that paper basically says what, about 5% of the state and that's a baby, a and big baby, and that's a pretty generous distribution. Yeah. And that's literally a slither on the southeast coastal portion. So if someone lives pretty much practically on the beach or barely <laughs> in from the beach, on the southeast tip 
of North Carolina, maybe their, their black and white tegu wouldn't die. Maybe. And that's what you're going to use, your basis, and an entire species, every in the entire state? It's ridiculous. Um, so, and, um, so this is another side point I'm going to mention. And this is uh, related to people's reactions when it comes to bans. And my reaction as well, a lot of times, like a knee-jerk reaction people have is, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna move. I'm just gonna go to this state. And there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of reptile keepers I know that are relocating to different states because of regulations, uh, specifically like Texas, right? I know a lot of Florida keepers that are really good friends of mine that are relocating to Texas, right? Here's mm-hmm. the thing I have to say about that. I was tempted to do it too. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I was very tempted to do it. You know the reason I decided not to do it? It's only pl- placing a band-aid on a wound. It's yeah. really an extremely temporary fix. It's a very right. temporary fix because it, you, you think regulations aren't going to hit that state. It's, it's just, it's, it's only a matter of time if you have all these people relocating there and basically saying, well, you know what, what are you going to do? Move for the rest of your life? Say, you know what, I'm going to move <laughs> to South Carolina. Then I'll move to North Carolina. I'll move to Texas. I'll move to California. And the thing is, is you're running a legitimate business, right? And you're running it and you're running legitimate business that contributes to the economy, especially local economy. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from an ethical standpoint, um, there, there's nothing that, that there's, there's no clear and present danger for these animals, especially in a state like North Carolina with a zero invasive potential. Why should you have to run for doing something that that, that isn't wrong? It just doesn't make any sense logically to me. But anyway, when we go to these meetings, it's important to, to mention um, like factual data, factual information, right? Don't, I mean, I don't want to tell people what to say because I mean, people can say whatever they feel like, obviously. But in my opinion, when people get too emotional, I've heard people cry on meetings about they're going to take away my baby and things like that. I really don't think they're going to empathize with you that much, maybe temporarily, but in the big scheme of things, you really have to hit them with facts saying like, look, the basis for your argument has no foundation. And these are all the different reasons from all these different angles. Right. Um, And these, so what are you basing this on? It seems pretty clear that it's based on sensationalism. You can't ban an industry and regulate an industry based on sensationalism. We know how this goes. We know that this is only going to be the tip of the iceberg. Um, because if you could do this, then you can pretty much regulate anything. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. What do you guys think? I think that's right on the nose because uh, <clears throat> the you know the next thing that they're going to be talking about if they can push this through is going to be uh, venomous and constrictors. And I don't think that a lot of states realize or a lot of these politicians realize that when they say constricting snake, what they're really talking about is any snake that's not venomous. Because technically, <laughs> just about every snake that is not venomous is considered a constrictor in one way or another. Um, and so when they give these vague definitions and they are not doing things based on facts uh, or, or the, you know, they're not doing with it with intention, they're banning all these, you know, things that were not the intended target. And it's not it's unfounded the the way that they're doing it. And it's just going to get worse and worse and worse and if people don't show up to these meetings if people don't show up and voice these facts and talk to these people and inform them we could be really heading down a bad um you know a bad path you know people talk about oh well you know north carolina and south carolina and uh you know they've already got all these like really lax regulations and it's like 
to some of the people who live in places that have really strict regulations and try and get some input on what it's like to live there. Cause a lot of those people don't want to live there anymore. They don't, the people, <laughs> the constituents, the people who are paying the taxes who pay these people don't want to be there anymore. And it's like, they're just going to regulate themselves right out of the job. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. And that whole thing with States and having less regulations I mean, that's good temporarily, but if you look long-term, I mean, Vermont in the Northeast, Vermont, I remember a long time ago, Vermont was a wonderful place to have reptiles, right? Mm -hmm. The very reasonable reptile regulations. And if you look at Vermont today, it's like, it's really, really a tragedy what happened with that state. I mean, if you like reptiles, it's really not a good state to live at all. The amount of regulations there are just absurd. So, and that didn't take that long in the big scheme of things to occur. So, I mean, this conversation three years from now could be totally different, completely different. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's really, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm obviously on the team of all my reptile keepers, but I think we just need to stop being short-sighted. And I'm guilty of the same thing. It's not like, you know, I'm preaching and I'm immune to these issues. I've been short-sighted in the past. I've had the mentality like, oh, well, they're not going to take my animals. I've had the mentality like, well, I'll just move. Um, Mm -hmm. And it didn't work out for me. I put a tremendous amount of effort in South Carolina to not having this tegu ban here. And I was able to get it so that black and white tegus were not just me, a lot of individuals here that worked really hard to that for that. And uh, it's just the black and white tegus, that species that, that's regulated here. Um, but honestly, if we didn't put that effort, everything would have been banned. So the reason I'm giving that example is if we did it here, North Carolina could definitely do it. And honestly, North Carolina could do even better because we had it where just black and white takers regulated here due to our efforts, right? But in North Carolina, there's zero argument for black and white takers. So I think you guys could really, well, not you guys, all of us could improve on those efforts in North Carolina. I really right. think if we go there, we state the facts, we could just squash this. And it's going to make a statement. And it's going to have them, um, you know, Center for Biological Diversity or these organizations, these, you know, these animal rights extremist groups, it's going to give them pause. It's going to say, you know what? If we're going to pass regulations, we're going to have to have a stronger foundation. It can't be, okay, we'll ride the wave of sensationalism and, and, and thrive off people's fears. We have to have a strong foundation because last time we didn't have a strong foundation based on science. I mean, these people tore us apart in the meeting and then we didn't have our regulation. We lost that battle there. So I really think if we're really like methodical about it, that it's going to go really well. So it really just depends on, you know, who shows up. Um, that's that's exactly it. So. That's oh, that's yeah. exactly. That. I didn't mean to cut you off. I no, it was literally as as soon as you said that, uh, Willie posted this comment. We need people to get involved. Reptile keeping is not a crime, but they're trying to ban reptile keepers. Period. And I, I brought this <clears throat> I brought this point up multiple times on some of my Instagram lives <clears throat> when we fought uh, HR six six nine and and Senate Bill twenty eight eleven years ago. In my mind, that was the glimpse of you know, animal rights groups and, and all, all these larger organizations showing their hand of what they want the final outcome to be, you know, and, and in knowing that, obviously that didn't pass because of how insane it was, but knowing if, if, that's, the, if that's the hand that they were really trying to, to put out, then we know now that that's, that's the end goal. And <clears throat> to think that these organizations aren't thinking long term they're not thinking 20 30 years in advance 
you know, we would be foolish to think that they aren't thinking that way. So we need to also be thinking that way as well. And part of that is in being able to have these arguments where, the, you know, there, if there's no science to be the foundation of your argument, your argument holds no value. And, and that really is one of the most solid things that we have, you know, which is why, you know, Josh, like you're an invaluable resource um, when it comes to stuff like this. And, you know, obviously Phil, U.S. Arc and, and the entire U.S. Arc team is, is so valuable when it comes to this. Um, you know, it, it's the fight will never be over, but we have we, we understand enough. We understand more than these organizations think that we do, you know, to be able to, to give our reasoning and make the people that are in charge of making these decisions happen to take pause and be like, oh, we didn't think about that. Or, oh, we didn't know about that. Because they're not being given that information. They're only being given the one side. And when the deep pockets allow that group to be the only side that gets heard, these meetings are where we have to show out and say, hey, look, we know you've probably gone out to lunch or grabbed coffee with that guy six or seven times because he just helped fund half your campaign. You know, but uh, he's full of crap. And here's why, <laughs> you know, that's 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 where we really get our moments to shine. And then uh, Savage Serpents just uh, just dropped down this super chat. <clears throat> fight the good fight, my dudes. You've got support all the way out in the Pacific Northwest. We definitely appreciate that for sure. I've been seeing a bunch of people in the comment section uh, all over Facebook and, and YouTube. Um, just want, wanting to get involved. Uh, if anybody's unsure, if they missed what we said earlier on how to, to register uh, for the Zoom meeting, the Zoom meeting is January 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. <coughs> and you can go right to usarc.org. Click on it's a week the from North today. It's a week from today. That's right. Yeah. Uh, you can go right to the North Carolina Alert. There's a direct link to register for that Zoom meeting. It's literally first name, last name, email address. Click enter like that's that's it that's it um and you literally you if you don't want to speak or if you're not a confident public speaker that is okay but to be literally an extra block on the screen it literally helps it literally helps i think that's probably the 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 one good thing of losing the the meetings the the in-person meetings is each in-person meeting it sounded like oh you know there's going to be a handful of people that are here and a handful of people that are here and a handful of people that are here you know obviously work schedules and life schedules and and whatever kind of get in the way but uh now there's no there's no excuse really you know uh every, everybody checks their phone when they're at work <laughs> let's be let's be real you know, so you can you can join this Zoom meeting and put your phone off to the side and maybe have the volume on low so you can hear what's going on. But but to be in that room with us, you know, fighting for the opposition is is, is invaluable, and that's that's really what we need. Yeah, no, that's definitely a great point. Um, there was something else I wanted to add really quick. Rob, were you going to say something that I cut you off? No, 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 you're good, man. Okay, awesome. So. Um, in South Carolina, when they were trying to, uh, you know, when they remember when the last year, last legislative session, when they were trying to like kind of sneak in the venomous ban at the last second, right before the end of the session, yeah. right? So there was the efforts of the entire community. We came together and then we all nipped it in the butt at the end, right? So there's one thing I want to say specifically, at least in my personal experience with that. Um, hopefully they don't mind if I mention their names. I don't think they would. There's actually something quite positive and complimentary. 
Um, so basically myself, Nick Botini, and, and Will from um, Venom Center, I believe the names of his company is, um, we went and we spoke to a senator. We spoke to Senator Bennett, who is the, the, uh, the, he's in charge of the ethics committee over in South Carolina. And we basically sat down and we told them our concerns with them basically piggybacking this, uh, this, this venomous ban along with something unrelated, along with other concerns that we had about it, right? That responsible keepers should have some level of rights, you know, so on and so forth, right? So in addition to all those emails that were sent, our concerns were literally mentioned in that meeting, right? So that meeting literally had a stronger impact. So that 15, 20 minute meeting I had directly with that senator, right? Who really doesn't have any particular, because he's not the one that was actually, his name wasn't on this particular bill, right? So he wasn't really biased pro or, or for or against this particular bill. So that 15 minute meeting made more of a difference than the hours and hours and hours I dedicated and wasted my time speaking to South Carolina DNR, right? Mm-hmm. Is that something important to realize when these state agencies are trying to, uh, to, to pass these regulations, right? there is a conflict of interest there, right? Because they're the ones that are hearing your concerns, right? And they're saying, okay, our idea that we generated, are we going to counteract this or modify this? Or are we going to go along with what these stakeholders are have concerns with, right? So there's, a, there's, there's an inherent conflict of interest there, no matter what, obviously, right? Yeah. When you mm-hmm. speak to a senator or a, or, or a legislator <clears throat> or a committee member and someone not really personally invested in that regulation passing or not, there's no inherent bias, right? There's no inherent conflict of interest. And that's the reason why I think when we spoke to that senator, it had far stronger of an effect. And our concern was actually mentioned in the meeting specifically than when I spoke to South Carolina DNR. Because when I was speaking to South Carolina DNR, I don't want to get a conversation much about them because it's a moot point at this point. Basically, I was speaking to the individuals that wanted to regulate it and basically get another notch on their belt, have something else to regulate, have more funding to regulate something. So there was a massive conflict of interest. So unless there was mm-hmm. massive, massive public outcry, which let's be honest with reptiles, there's a lot of people interested in reptiles, but it's not something as mainstream as some other you know, domesticated animals or even certain other exotics. Right. right. So massive outcry is not, not super likely. We, we're obviously going to do our best, of course. But they know that, you know, if they pass this, we're probably going to be fine, right? So even if you have an extremely legitimate, scientific, thoughtful argument that they even may even know is correct, they really don't have an invested interest in passing that, right? Because it goes Mm -hmm. against what they wanted to regulate, right? So that literally hurts their pockets. It jeopardizes their funding. and, And that's what keeps them having jobs and paying their bills, right? There's an inherent conflict of interest. When you approach other individuals, so the, the reason I'm mentioning that, I think it's worth everyone's time to not just approach the state agencies. Hopefully, North Carolina is excellent. Hopefully, you speak to the, the state agency in North Carolina. I know it's not called DNR. It's called something else. But the, the equivalent of DNR in that state, and hopefully we speak to them. They hear our thoughts, and it goes over smoothly, right? And the experience is far better than the experience I had. But that being said, I think it's important to reach to think outside the box. Say, you know what? I'm going to contact my local legislator. I'm going to contact, you know, committee members directly. I'm going to do things that people usually do not do because that's when I saw results. When I thought outside the box and I was like, okay, I'm going to do all these things that we should do, contact committee members and, and, you know, write in these emails. I did all that. But when we thought outside the box, it made a massive difference. So I think um, that's, that's food for thought for people. I'm not instructing people on what they should or shouldn't do. 
but maybe speak to your local representatives, speak to as many people as you can to have your voice heard and try to approach the issue from different angles. And more importantly, try to, to try to contact people that do not have a direct conflict of interest when expressing what your concern is. Absolutely. Absolutely, Absolutely man. It, it's just those little things that add up. And uh, a lot of people don't take that into consideration when it comes to uh, the bigger picture of things. And, you know, a lot of people in Florida were really upset about uh, the way that the meeting in Florida went with some of the regulated species in there. And, uh, you know, we had some people show up. We had some people who threw strictly emotional arguments at them. We had some people hit them with straight facts. Um, but uh, it seems like they kind of already had their mind made up before they went to that meeting. And we're hoping that's not the case with North Carolina. Um, some of the people I know who were in Florida said that they came out, they sent an email within moments of the hearing ending, basically them stating that it's things are going to get banned no matter what that's the decision they've already made. It didn't really matter what people were going to say at that meeting, yeah. uh, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm hoping that that's not the case with North Carolina. I'm hoping that we'll be able to make a, a little bit more of an impact and, and get a chance to talk to these people and really, you know, get this information across. No, exactly. A lot of times in, in certain other States, at least my experience in my state, the meeting was more so just a formality. It was obvious. Yep. It was more so just a formality to say that they had the meeting and it was, it, and we had tons of people speaking against it, having strong arguments that were more so based on facts and, and personal experience, and were more prepped. And it was very obvious; it was just a formality, like, okay, we're we're obligated to have this to say that we took in public input. Thank you for all your public input and your strong points. Uh, we're gonna, you know, pretty much do it anyway. Um, and I'm hoping that's not the experience in North Carolina. Just because it was the experience in my state doesn't necessarily mean that'll be the case in North Carolina. You know, maybe your state agency or our state agency in North Carolina is, um, is excellent. And I'm hoping that's the case. I'm trying to think optimistic. I'm usually optimistic. The last two times you guys had me on, this time and last time, it was about negative things about regulations. If we talk about anything beyond regulations, I'm like happy, go lucky, joking around, everything's wonderful. <laughs> I like to stay positive and just have fun and enjoy reptiles. But um, yeah. hopefully next time will be like a lighter note, right? Hopefully we can talk about snakes or lizards. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, oh, absolutely. One more thing that I wanted to touch on. Um, I don't know if Jeremy, if you've seen this yet, mm. but, uh, North Carolina is slighted to get hit with a severe ice storm this upcoming oh, week yeah, or so. See that. Yeah. Um, so the irony of the situation is we're about to have this meeting right after the state gets slammed with frozen temperatures, sleet and ice that these tegus yeah. would not be able Woo-hoo, to survive. For our through. argument. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would be nice if they did because, um, Here's the thing. I know when they were trying to, they were considering banning Burmese pythons years ago in South Carolina. Well, they're considering banning them. They did an experiment in, in a portion of South Carolina, um, or they did it in Savannah, Georgia. But anyways, it was, I think it was, it was a Georgia. Long, yeah, it might have been Georgia. They put them outside in the cages? Yeah, with the Burmese pythons. And yeah. then they all died, right? They all died, yeah. I would yeah. love to see a study like that. I told mm-hmm. South Carolina, but I would love to see a study like that in North Carolina. If yeah. the Burmese proof is on the state, how about this? You guys take however many black and white tigers you want and actually provide proof because so far everything is pointing against you everything right Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, experts in the field are saying that that's incorrect what your assumptions are 
um, science, scientists in the field are saying the same thing, right? So you have academics and then you also have people from a practical standpoint both saying the same thing. So you have no proofs, which really compromises your position, right? So if you want to really set a strong foundation on your position, take these tegus, put them in, a, in a, a centrally located portion of the state. That will be a good average of the temperatures, right? Put them at sea level, right? If you want, or whichever altitude is the average for the state, put them centrally located in the state, and I can tell you right now, whether they put one or 1,000 tegus, 99% of them will be dead when, mm-hmm. when they come back in the spring. Why don't they just do that? That's a very easy – you know how many tegus they, they have uh, um, available to We're in Florida right now? I'm sure if they speak to that state agency, they could get tons of tegus handed over to them. So the burden of proof – so the reason I'm mentioning that, the burden of proof is on the state. They have plenty of opportunities to do so. So if you're saying that they're an issue here, despite people far more knowledgeable and qualified to speak on the subject matter saying otherwise, prove it. Prove it. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, that's honestly it. Um, all right, as we're wrapping up, I just want to make sure I get this one last super chat thrown in there from Pet Sock. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, Pets Autics. Uh, I got their they got their US Arc t shirt today. That's awesome. Definitely yeah. appreciate you joining US Arc. Um, so <clears throat> obviously, I know we've certainly focused a lot on Tegus. Um, that's not the only thing we're facing here in North Carolina. Uh, we have our, our native species import nonsense that's going on too that we discussed with Phil last week. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I definitely wanted to focus on tegus today. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we brought Josh in. Um, but uh, I would encourage everybody that's still here, still watching, uh, to go uh, check out last week's episode with Phil. We went a little bit more in depth uh, on that stuff as well, uh, just talking about what that means. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, just realizing that when when the state organization is trying to pass something like this, pass these kind of rule changes they're not necessarily realizing the impact they're going to have on their own agency to make some of these things come to fruition. You know, if you want to establish a permitting system, you know, in some instances, fair, valid, you know, but, uh, you know, something like a corn snake. I mean, how many people own corn snakes? How long have corn snakes been kept in captivity? There's a lot of corn snakes that, that would need to be permitted. (laughs) Uh, you know, vendors coming into shows and, and all that stuff. We're talking about one of the most popular pet colubrids. So that's certainly something that uh, that we need to be aware of as well. Um, the uh, Also, just to bring it back up, since I mentioned checking out last week, uh, public comment for the uh, ESA stuff with the tortoises has ended. Um, I don't, it ended on January 10th. I don't know what, uh, if there's been any info on outcome on that. Uh, we'll have to have Phil back, but um but yeah there's there's so much so much going on and i think it's also very important while we have this thing directly on our plate right now uh that we stay ever uh vigilant because there's inevitably more stuff that's uh that's going to be coming our way maybe not here in the carolinas but uh all over the place so make sure that you're all following us arc um, go to usarc.org and just sign up for that newsletter at the bare minimum. It's free, and this way you can be aware and in the know of everything that's going on because um, it's important. And uh, we certainly appreciate the people all over the country that are you know, chiming in, saying that they'll be at that meeting and stuff. And 
you know, if this was happening in your state, you'd want to see that same kind of support from people. So uh, I think that's it for, for me. I don't have anything else to add. Um, Robert, Josh, if you guys have anything else to add, um, throw it, throw it down, yo, throw it down. No, I'm, I'm, I'm good now. I, uh, I said quite a bit, but just, yeah, everyone just show up at the Zoom meeting, obviously, and just try to make a, you know, sh- strong points and just try to focus on the facts because facts are on our side on this one. Facts Absolutely. are strongly on our side. And it's hard to argue facts, right? Because when, while they're arguing opinions and sensationalized nonsense, if we hit them with facts, it's going to kind of put them in a really compromising situation. And hopefully it doesn't even come to that. Hopefully once we mention the facts, they're like, you guys are right. Uh, this is ridiculous. And it gets thrown out. Um, you know, I'm, I like to think positive. So that's all I really have. So everyone, if they could show up to the Zoom meeting, you know, get off work if you can or get off work early. And hopefully there's many Zoom meetings, but it seems like that's not going to be the case. It's just going to be this one no matter what. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully everyone attends it. And I know it's tough because we're all busy. I literally was just on my farm doing like a million things and I just put everything down. I was like, Oh, I got to go. Through this pile I have to pile. <laughs> you so know, it's funny as I was like, do I text Josh just as an extra reminder or is he going to remember? I was like, no, no, he should remember. He should. Remember. No, I remember I was dealing with, with monitor <laughs> lizard stuff and I have females are about to lay, you know how it is. So yeah. right? you put everything down, you put everything down, what you're doing and Sometimes things are important. You really just have to take the time, right? So we all are busy, whether it be work or hobbies or or family or or whatever it is, right? But when things are important to you, take time to talk about it. Absolutely. And Josh, we ask everybody one important question to wrap up the show. Ah, That's Uh, right. What, uh, under the greater umbrella of reptiles, whether it be something in your collection or something you saw on Instagram or Facebook or, or wherever, um, what is something right now that's got you excited about what's going on with reptiles? Well, actually, this time it kind of connects. Usually it's like a, like a species, right? Because I'm really big into breeding and I'm like obsessed with all kinds of living things, especially lizards. But anyways, with, with me right now, it's actually related to what we're talking about now. Just people getting pumped up and enjoying USR. Like Phil, for the first time like ever, I think he actually hired people to help him. So because Phil was kind of like, he wasn't a one-man show. Obviously they had like, you know, their board and stuff like that but you know just having so much support now for yeah. us and having so many people pumped to join in and having so many people having like this teamwork type mentality and it's kind of just building up i think that's awesome because that gives me a lot of faith in the future of you know this industry that i love so much hell yeah that's what it's all about man Josh, thank you so much for coming on tonight. I appreciate your input and your knowledge. Like, I really need to come down and visit your place because it's a a crime. I've been down here for two months and I haven't even come down to visit you yet. Yeah, come in the spring. Everything's outside. You come in the spring, it's going to be awesome. All the animals are going to be out. Heck yeah. Herping. We're going to go herping. Awesome. Yeah, take the field trip. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah, man. All right, so if people want to find out more about you and the things that you're breeding and the things that you're doing, where do they go? Oh, so just on the Herbert Safana by Josh Ortiz, whether it be Instagram, whether it be Facebook, pretty much anything across the board. If they look up my name, Josh Ortiz, on Facebook, under my profile, I put Herbert Safana in parentheses since my name is a common name where I'm from. Um, and they could just look me up and message me. I'm pretty easy to talk to. Um, and I always respond to all my messages, usually in the evening, but I always reply. So that's good. That's where it's at. Thanks. Thank you so much, Josh. I appreciate yeah, thanks, you, man. Dude. Awesome, guys. Thanks so much. You guys have a good night. You too. Later. Bye-bye.